Hey everybody, welcome to West Seattle Christian Church Online. My name is Worth. If you are new, welcome and thanks for joining us. If not, welcome back. Today, we are taking a look at uh, kind of examining why we often affirm the words of Jesus and what he says about us, like when he says we are salt and light. But even though we affirm those words, we hesitate to engage and put them into practice. In other words, we're asking the question of Jesus, why is it that we have such a hard time living into what you know we can do and what we can be, Jesus. But first, here's a few opportunities to take advantage of. First up is our kinfolk groups. Uh, you know, Acts 2.47 says, the first Christians broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. And that pretty much says nearly everything you need to know about kinfolk groups. They're just groups of people within our church and within our wider community here in West Seattle uh, that come together to share life, to share food, conversation, uh, prayer, and perhaps a little bit of study. And if this is something that you're longing for, then these groups are for you. You can find out about them and sign up on our website at westseattlechristian.church/groups. Second, on May 24th, they, we're going to be uh, hosting a Zoom discussion that is super, super, super important. Um, especially in light of everything that's been going on in our world lately. We'll be chatting about Latasha Morrison's book, Be the Bridge, which is all about racial reconciliation and healing uh, in our wider community and within the church. And it'll help us have a biblical framework as a church for restoration. Our society and our church have had a ton of grieving and repentance and learning to engage in on this topic. And so I hope you make it a priority. All you need to do is jump over to our website, click on the racial justice link on our homepage, and then there's a sign-up form from there, and it's pretty easy. Last thing I want to remind everyone about is that we said our, our next uh, in-person gathering will be in early May, and we've decided that will be on May 9th next week on Mother's Day. So I hope you join us, jump online, fill out the registration form. That'll help us set everything up accordingly, help us plan and all of that. It's family style again, which means Kid City will not be open. And before we get too far into it, I want to let you know that our next in-person gathering after that will be on June 6th. So I hope to see you there too. We'll have a separate sign-up form immediately up after uh, May 9th. So, all right, hope to see you then. Well, nobody likes to make excuses, but for lack of a better word, that's essentially what I have done in my life and what others have told me they have done as well in their lives when it comes to being salt and light for Jesus. We procrastinate, we ignore, we say somebody else is more gifted than me. We don't move beyond our intentions into practices. Spiritually speaking, it's not that we, we don't even have calluses on our hands from not doing the work, it's that most of the time, we don't even make the time or even plan to do the work that Jesus is asking all of us to do. Let's start by rereading Jesus' Jesus's words in Matthew 5. Uh, which say this, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Well, ultimately, when Jesus says we are salt and light, he is telling us and asking us to be like him. He was salt and light wherever he went. 
So it's an apt metaphor for everything he did and everything he said. He illuminated the dark areas of the world through his ways and his words, uh, his deeds. And he was an instigator, a provocateur, uh, calling people out of the mundane existence of living for themselves and daring people to spice things up by living for others. If anything, that was part of his secret sauce. But Jesus knew back then, and he knows now, that people sometimes have the tendency to want to escape responsibility for the world's problems. Sometimes we want to stay mild instead of being spicy. Uh, he's kind of like the spiritual version of Sean Evans on Hot Ones, trying to get everyone, everybody to, to up the ante on how far they're going to go in the Scoville scale of the hot sauce that they will eat. And if you're not familiar, here's a little preview of what happens when they do that. But the church, the group of people that started doing life together the way Jesus did, they didn't have the option of picking and choosing how far they would go or when they wanted to follow Jesus. For them, it was all or nothing. And they couldn't really decide to be salty and bright and then take a step back and water their witness down with milk or Thai iced tea. They, they either took Jesus seriously or they didn't. They went all the way up the spiritual Scoville heat scale. Pick whatever metaphor you want to choose, but it, it's really, it's human nature to basically want to choose the path of least resistance, avoiding whatever might seem like a conflict, etc. Uh, and this seems easier today now than ever because nobody wants to step on anybody's toes because as our society has become more diverse and it's become more polarized, it's because of this, it seems easy and to some it might even seem right to run away from the world, to shutter ourselves behind locked doors to kind of become hermits of holiness and we keep the salt and the light to ourselves while society falls apart and decays around us. Or maybe you fall into another camp and instead of hiding away from the world and, and all of its problems, instead of shining light out there and sprinkling salt, maybe you play the blame game. Instead of actually working to be a force for beauty and good in the world, maybe it's just easier to blame or scapegoat or label someone else or something else as the problem. But blaming those who don't follow Jesus for all the ills of society, that's not the answer. The problem with both the blame game and the tendency we have to hide away from the complexities and the darkness and the uncertainty of the world is that those two options, they don't line up with the example of Jesus. They don't line up with his ways and his words and his works. Jesus never retreated really from the world except to get more energy to go back out into it. So Jesus' call on our lives is extremely clear. Lights that are covered are pointless. Lights that aren't, they aren't even turned on at all are even worse. Salt that isn't used doesn't preserve anything. It doesn't counteract decay and evil. It doesn't serve to protect goodness. We simply aren't being light if we withdraw from the world and the darkness that's out there. Likewise, we simply aren't being salt if we run away when we encounter the decay and turmoil and disintegration that's present out there. The entire point of salt and light is to be a positive, beautiful force for good in the world. In fact, in Matthew 5 verse 16, when it says good deeds, there's a specific word used there. In the Greek, there are two words for good. The first is agathos, which refers to the quality of something. And the other word is kalos, which means captivating, 
and revealing and attractive and beautiful. And that's the word used here. So when Jesus says, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father who is in heaven, he means this. Your good deeds must not only be good in quality, but they must also be captivating and attractive. They need to provoke curiosity. You can be good and do good deeds that are hard and cold and austere and boring and dogmatic, and nobody will want to have anything to do with you or the church or Jesus because they will rightly think it's all about rules. And that kind of goodness is repulsive, honestly. And then there's really good goodness, callous goodness, which is what I think Jesus was talking about and living out, which is why everyone was following him around. His goodness is not only good, but it's beautiful and it's fun and it's joyful and it's full of life. I was reading a commentary this week on this passage and it quoted someone who I have no idea who she is. Her name is Miss F.E. Newton. And she said this, in Palestine, the ordinary oven is out of doors and is built of stone on a base of tiles. In such ovens, in order to retain the heat, a thick bed of salt is laid under the tiled floor. And after a certain length of time, the salt perishes. The tiles are taken up and the salt moved and thrown out. So the commentator's point in bringing this story up was to say this, the New Testament makes and remakes the same point over and over and over again, which is this, uselessness invites disaster. So if a Christian is not fulfilling his purpose as a Christian, then they are on the, on the way to disaster. And if we don't bring radiance and joy and relief and curiosity and imagination and cleverness and power and beauty and justice to the world, then it's disastrous for us and it's disastrous for the church and ultimately it's disastrous for the world. And that's exactly the opposite of what Jesus is calling us to. So if last week's emphasis was to balance the scales and make sure we're engaging not only in evangelism but also pursuing justice, this week's message from Jesus is that we have been called to let the world know about him. We must shine with the reflection of the light of Jesus that's within us. And the question is simply this, how are you doing at that? Now, we've talked about doing that in small, seemingly insignificant ways at the beginning of this series, but there's also no way around the fact that we are called to engage our culture. According to Jesus, this is not an option for me or for you. The earliest Christians did this by being connectors. First and foremost, at a time in the world where most people lived shorter lives, they were not nearly as healthy as we are, and they knew that sickness and death were just around the corner, and a group of people sprouted up in their midst called Christians who were following a person named Jesus, and this Jesus person had healed people, and he had conquered death by rising from the grave. Christians, they held this hope out to their neighbors. They connected them to true life right now and beyond death. Second of all, when the early church was persecuted, they stood up for themselves. Yeah, some groups basically went underground at times so they could avoid the persecution, but many did not. There's even an account from Asia Minor where a governor in the second century began persecuting Christians. And instead of running and hiding, the entire Christian population of that region formed a parade in front of his house to protest against injustice. So what we see from the earliest Christians especially after they were more rooted in, an, in a public gathering type of form, which was around the, the fourth century, it's that they had to fight against the twin enemies of prejudice against them and misinformation. People didn't like what they didn't understand, so Christians had to work hard to show people that they were good people who did good things. 
And this hasn't changed, even up until today. We have, to, we have to help people make that type of connection. Another way was that they were salty and bright was the way they showed their care for their neighbors. They went to extreme lengths to connect with and engage with others by helping them and taking care of them. And they would invite people to meals. They would bring people uh, medicine to people who were sick. They took care of the poor and the widow and the orphan and they paid rent and they put people up for the night and they shared their homes and they stood up for the oppressed and they spent time with those that nobody else would spend time with. This translates today in a lot of ways, but what we have to realize is that since many of these things that they did have been institutionalized through like healthcare and other nonprofits who do these things, and the church doesn't do that anymore, it's clear that Christians have to go above and beyond these examples to connect with others in meaningful ways. Christianity is something that is supposed to be seen. Who you are and who you follow should be perfectly visible to everyone. If your Christianity starts and stops when you step onto and leave the church campus or when you walk in and out of the church doors, that is not very useful to anyone. Jesus didn't say, you're the light of the church. He said, you're the light of the world. Here's the reality of salt and light. You were put on earth to make a contribution. Ephesians 2.10 says, in the Living Bible translation, it says, it is God himself who has made us what we are and given us new lives from Christ Jesus. And long ages ago, he planned that we should spend these lives in helping others. We're supposed to make a difference. You are not just here to take up space. God doesn't want you to go through life taking everything you can. He wants you to give something back. And this is what it means when we talk about ministries, what, we, what it means about salt and life, that God wants you to serve. And, and like we said last week, it's not just about evangelism or justice or one of those two coming first. It's love that comes first. And both of those are byproducts of the love you put on display for God. Whenever you engage in acts of love and care and hospitality and healing, especially when you invite others to join you in following Jesus and you invite them to join you at church and, and bring them into the church family, that kind of living, that is salt and light. Maybe it'll help to say it like this. A Christian who doesn't perform the function of, of salt and light is really a contradiction in terms. And it starts with love. You, you were designed for love. Do you love others the way Jesus loves you? If you have no love, for others, no desire to save others, maybe you should re-examine yourself because, and, well, maybe this will sound harsh to some of you, but if the answer to the question of loving others, or, or if you have no desire to save others, the, the question is this, is Christ really in your life? Jesus says it this way as our prototype example later on in Matthew uh, uh, 20, your attitude must be like my own, for I, the Messiah, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. So practically speaking, we as a church need every member of our community to be salt and light, all of us, to be tasty, to be spicy and appealing and captivating and delightful, to provoke curiosity, to be servants who connect others to Jesus and connect others to our church. Salt and light means we all understand the responsibility to taste truly good and to show our quality and to shine brightly. We sparkle because of how we live and how we love. We don't sap the radiance out of life as the world would like to believe. If you are salty, you give flavor to things, my friends. So to wrap this up, rather than be prescriptive, I'd like to just ask a few questions. 
that get right to the heart of this. And the first is, do others know that you're a Christian and why or why not? And second, if you understand Jesus's love for you and you believe it, how are you living into that? Are you loving others? And how are you helping others? How are you healing others? How are you guiding others to Jesus and his church? When's the last time you talked to someone about church or Jesus or invited them to church or even to your home or to hang out and let them see you as you are as a follower of Jesus? When's the last time you went to hang out with your friends in the places and locales that they like to hang out? Are you obeying your call to be salt and light? And I'll leave you with this as we close. In in some churches in China, they welcome new believers by saying this to them right up front. This is what they say. Jesus now has a new pair of eyes to see with, new ears to listen with, new hands to help with, and a new heart to love others with. I don't, know about you, I don't know about you, but I think we should start by doing that as well. I think we should say the same exact thing. Until next time, this is Worth Wheeler for West Seattle Christian Church Online. Stay salty and bright, my friends.